Okay, good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's Financial Services Club webinar, um, Banks, Blunders and Lessons Learned, Misadventures in a Data-Driven World and How to Solve Them. So a very long title, but um, it certainly captures the imagination. And uh, as an ex-investment banker operations person myself, I'm very much looking forward to hearing, hearing what our uh, speakers are going to say. So I'm James Pitcher. Um, we, uh, the, the Financial Services Club was started in 2004 by Chris Skinner. Um, ZN's long finance arm took over the running of the management of the Financial Services Club here on January the 1st, 2019. Uh, and Michael Manelli, the executive chairman of the ZN Group, uh, is the other co-chairman uh, of the Financial Services Club uh, along with, um, with Chris Skinner. So today you're just going to hear here literally just a couple of minutes from me um, and uh, then I'm going to hand over to our uh, three distinguished speakers. We have Jennifer Liu of Invest Northern Ireland who are one of our Financial Services Club sponsors. We have Paul Hudson, Head of uh, Customer Success at Automated Intelligence uh, and Kieran Seawood, uh, Head of Sales uh, at Tactics. Um, there will be an opportunity for you to ask questions and we very much hope that you will. You can do so by uh, typing your question into the panel in the top right uh, of the screen. And uh, I will compare those questions at the end. We've built in a little bit of extra time uh, if needed. And uh, we do hope that it will be a very proactive uh, or interactive, I should say, uh, session. So thank you very much. Um, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsors and members of the Financial Services Club. Um, and the way that we offer or bring benefits to our to our members and indeed to our wider global audience is through three key areas, news, events uh, and partnership. So for news, you can subscribe to our daily news email, um, which will also link you to Chris Skinner's blog, which is often quite entertaining. Uh, and also it will uh, ensure that you get invites to uh, all of our events. Um, you can also subscribe to receive some of our uh, AI generated automated news bulletins. We have around 200 different categories. Um, a really good read and they come out weekly. Uh, categories include asset management, um, uh, sustainable cities, computer science, COVID-19, many more and so on and so forth. Events, uh, ordinarily we would hold uh, bi-weekly events in the city, um, in the old world if you like, in the new world. We very uh, early on put together a one a week webinar program uh, for 15 weeks way before lockdown and we're now doing those webinars uh, pretty much daily and in, in some cases uh, uh, more than one a day. So um, things are going really well in uh, in that regard. Uh, and in terms of partnerships, um, we're really keen to build out our community. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, nearly 60,000 financial services club and other professionals uh, on our database. Um, and, uh, you know, we also have uh, special interest groups. Uh, we have one on an anti-money laundering task force, employee share ownership, uh, city focuses for the Global Financial Centers Index uh, and so on. And in terms of partnerships, um, uh, we work with the CISI for continual professional development points or CPD. Uh, and we're looking to add many more organizations uh, in that regard as well. So um, that's pretty much it from me. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to hearing from our speakers. And I'll hand over, first of all, to Jennifer Liu. Thank you. Um, hi there, Jenny Liu. I work for the Regional Economic Development Agency for Northern Ireland. Uh, I'm based out of our London office 
and having previously worked in corporate banking, private banking and insurance, part of my role is to understand the challenges faced by large organisations and through this process, help them better understand solution options available from Northern Irish tech companies, some of whom your organisation may already be working with in London or around the globe. So I really wanted to do this webinar today because on a daily basis, I'm interacting with companies in our Northern Ireland London hub, obviously now virtually. Um, I see what they do and how they work with their clients. So I asked the two companies we have here today to do this webinar. Um, and that's because I was so impressed when I met their clients and saw their clients stand up in front of peers, other CDOs, to talk about their bank's data journeys and how automated intelligence and the tactics help them through specific data challenges along the way. So I hope you find today as insightful as I did. And without further ado, I'll stop talking uh, and hand over to them now. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for that, Jennifer and James. Hi. So um, it's really good to be uh, joining you on this webinar today. Um, just a, a quick introduction. My name is Paul Hudson, as you know. Uh, I'm head of customer success at Automated Intelligence. So banks, blunders and lessons learned, misadventures in a data-driven world, what a great title. It's an increasingly a data-driven world. And for many, there is a long road ahead to achieving a culture where everyone in your firm has the access to timely, accurate, clean, unbiased and trustworthy data that is needed to make data-driven decisions. As more firms adopt data strategies, it demonstrates a shift from defensive actions to the short-term fix to become more offensive and a strategic enabler. I mean, surely that will end the blunders, right? Let's hope so. Although blunders are careless mistakes, so there's always the fear that no matter how easy it is to make informed decisions, there will always be some mistakes. But I'll be focusing on data not typically used in the context of being data-driven. This is data that most organizations don't consider as having value that can be easily extracted. At Automated Intelligence, our focus is on unstructured data that many firms create, process, and store, yet they do not maximize its potential. And we're all aware banks are under increasing scrutiny and are mandated to organize and control their affairs responsibly and effectively, ensuring they both understand their exposure to risk and have systems in place to manage it. The historical expectation of managing financial data with integrity has expanded to a broader remit or appropriately managing all of their data, and this includes unstructured data. So if we, if we can move on to the next slide there, please, James. What, what, what we have found consistently is unstructured data is an ungoverned arena for financial service organizations, yet it typically represents 80% of all their data being stored. Significant effort has been spent getting transaction structured data platforms under management, as they represent a powerful resource for developing deeper insights and patterns of behavior about key areas of business. There are powerful products that support data cataloging, metadata management, data lineage, and of course, data quality, as Kieran will explain shortly. All of these provide the critical support for getting good data needed for your business. Now, unstructured data is seen as significantly more challenging to work with, to understand and to extract value from. Traditionally, this data has been captured with minimal metadata or context, with few rules or predictability, and as a result, it's typically overlooked as a source of meaningful insights. In reality, this is the information that firms create every day. And with more focus on being data driven, it is this information that is derived from that managed data and it's used for sharing and collaboration. 
it holds insights into how your firm is valuing the data and it supports and validates the data strategy. Now, experience shows that these repositories, repositories are a key location of sensitive client data where evidence of the highest risks live. Client data from Know Your Customer and anti-money laundering processes, along with client correspondence, financial products and contracts, are all typically living in a mixed environment with little structure, no control or governance and poor retrievability. Now, anecdotal evidence exists to indicate that firms are ignoring this data when it comes to regulatory compliance with the Data Protection Act and the GDPR. This is a flawed strategy, of course, but it has arisen because firms feel paralyzed due to the perceived enormity of the task of addressing it. There is a clear indication from working with our customers that information that firms are collecting, processing and storing during regular business activities is often used once and forgotten. Frequently, we have found occurrences where different parts of the business have needed access to the same data. But due to a lack of visibility, the business has duplicated resources or costs in acquiring and storing the same data more than once. Now, there is an inconsistent governance across these multiple and various data stores, which is a natural byproduct of rapid technological change in the past, where different parts of the business have implemented solutions for specific, often short-term requirements. In time, the context of data in these environments often fades, especially when firms face restructuring and domain knowledge moves and subsequently data ownership is lost. The regulations the inf information is subject to cannot be known without understanding the context in which the information was created and used in the first instance. So at Automated Intelligence, um, we've helped tackle these issues with many organizations. Automated Intelligence engaged with Deutsche Bank following regulatory fines being imposed by the FCA. The bank needed to help tackle significant challenges associated with information management and governance within the bank, both from an operational and regulatory perspective. The bank recognised that unstructured data volumes were growing at unprecedented levels and were posing a significant risk. So Automated Intelligence worked closely with the bank to deliver a solution that leveraged existing infrastructure and supported cost-reducing initiatives for long-term preservation of content. A key aspect of this program work was that Automated Intelligence delivered a solution that avoided the need to migrate data from people to another platform during a time of considerable upheaval within the business. The focus was on long-term strategical thinking rather than a short-term fix. Similarly, Sainsbury's Bank had identified risks of personally identifiable information within its growing volume of unstructured data, and they sought to, sought to take steps to address it in advance of the GDPR go-live in May 2018. Using the data lift, our cloud-based data management platform, we were able to provide the insights needed by the bank by fully indexing all of the unstructured data holdings. With this platform, the bank was presented with a dynamic view and using powerful search and pattern detection, the bank was able to expose the areas of regulatory and business risk. From this, insights were provided for risk committees to enable action and risk mitigation. The remit naturally extended beyond the primary driver of GDPR and the minimization of personally identifiable information. We're able to help identify areas such as payment card information and the presence of over-retained records and duplication. The bank then used the platform for automating the data governance required by the first line of defence and to flag and quantify relevant actual key risk indicators for the second line of defence on an ongoing basis. Again, as with Deutsche Bank, this solution was delivered without moving from an existing platform. This enabled the clear focus to be applied to gaining control over the data and reduce the risk within the current platform rather than adopting the short-term mindset again 
of replacing system X with system Y. That approach has too often left firms with costly platforms that are real suited to future purposes and have hindered adoption of sound data governance practices. For Sainsbury's, using data lift it has led to significant savings by freeing up somewhere in the region of 60 people from manual record management activities to perform other value-added tasks and releasing valuable storage space. Approximately 1.85 million duplicated files were subsequently deleted, 64 million over-retained files disposed of, and 150,000 files containing PII and PCI were identified and removed. All of this came with the additional peace of mind knowing that the platform could provide an intelligent migration capability. This is currently being utilized as the bank begins an accelerated journey to the cloud to support the rise in remote working that has been triggered by the coronavirus lockdown. Daylift continues to provide the single pane of glass view across multiple platforms with a consistent governance and a full audit trail of compliance. <clears throat> with unstructured data remediated and analyzed, Daylift provides the ability to discover and catalog data sets and expose opportunities for advanced analysis with machine learning and support data democratization across the business as a potential source of insight. Helping the firm see how citizen data scientists are working with data across the business, linking data as it flows into unstructured repositories and is shared and collaborated upon will enable a, deep, a deeper understanding of how people are working with data. I mean, if we think now, it's estimated there are 100 million contracts with reference to LIBOR. It's representing somewhere in the region of $400 of trillion dollars in value. And with the LIBOR going into retirement at the end of 2021, once again, firms face a contract remediation exercise. There are estimates that potentially 40% of these contracts have no effective language for discontinuation of the benchmark rate and will require remediation. One of the biggest challenges lies in the ability to identify and quantify the contracts within unstructured data to be transitioned. It's not a new challenge. When we consider other regulations such as MIFID II, GDPR, PPI, and Brexit, all of which required a huge repapering project. For many firms, these projects were started from scratch every time. Despite the massive costs, many financial institutions still don't meet deadlines, as demonstrated with MIFID II. In an environment of continuous regulatory, economic, and legal change, these exercises will always be needed. And perhaps one of the costliest blunders of all will be to treat this as a one off exercise yet again. Taking a long-term view, LIBOR is an opportunity to treat repapering as a business-as-usual activity with the support of technology. By taking control of unstructured data with a single pane of glass view, data can be governed effectively and it will deliver a structured perspective of this typically hard-to-reach area. Your business can catalogue data sets based on classifications and through the application of machine learning techniques, automate the identification and extraction of key data. Providing a triage approach, the work can begin to update contracts. Now, this improved perspective on unstructured data will help achieve a faster, more cost-effective approach to a significant challenge and does not need to be retired along with the LIBOR. This is the time to recognize there is value within this data. And with the centralized governance, this data can be brought into the data-driven world to help with innovation insights. So to avoid the blunders of the past, embrace a data-driven culture, pivot from the risk of challenges such as LIBOR being a threat to your business and grasp them as opportunities. Firms need to move away from the tactical short-term responses of the past and focus on strategic long-term initiatives to achieve competitive advantage. So to end, I would just say, be true to your data strategy. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for that uh, very interesting insight. A reminder for people, if you have questions uh, for Jennifer or for, for, for 
Paul. Please type them into the uh, box on the right-hand side. Um, so without further ado, uh, I'd now like to introduce uh, Kieran Seawood. Kieran, over to you. Uh, thanks, James. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Kieran Seward, and I can honestly say this is the most dressed up I've been since lockdown began. Um, I look after SEALs at the Tactics. We're a 45-person firm headquartered in Belfast. We provide a self-service data quality and matching software platform, and we service clients all over the globe, primarily in financial services, where we have a number of major firms as clients but also some major public sector organizations. Our software and associated frameworks can be rapidly deployed to measure and fix data quality issues and to distinguish ourselves from automated intelligence and what Paul was talking about. The tactics typically deals with the bank's structured business critical data. Therefore, we typically work with chief data officers, data management and data governance teams. The platform also has the ability to match information across multiple different systems or sources to achieve the single customer view, even where there are differences in that information. And a major differentiator of the tactics is that is that our tools are designed to fit the profile of our typical users and no coding or programming is involved. On today's topic, I think uh, the term blunders is quite extreme, but I will tell you about two brief client stories. My first story concerns a regional retail bank who a few years back failed a single customer view submission to financial services compensation scheme via the PRA, which is not an uncommon occurrence as I, you know, as I understand. They had previously installed a software platform to solve this problem where the vendor provided a pre-built standard set of rules for FSCS. However, the bank were not able to configure or update the rules themselves, as that involved programming or coding, and that didn't fit the profile of the users. Um, of course, that one-size-fits-all approach tends not to work, as banks' data systems and setup vary greatly from one bank to the next. After a second failure, the bank were then encouraged to turn to a big four consultancy for some external help. However, and apologies for any representatives from those firms, but all this did was to help the bank to interpret the FSCS SCV regulation and update the rules. But that meant the bank still had the issue that they could not configure the rules in the software themselves. The tactics were then invited to, to compete in a POC against the incumbent provider. We were, we were successful in that bid and we were selected to provide the bank with a solution for FSCS single customer view reporting. The solution gathers, aggregates, standard, standardizes and matches information across all product lines and all of their customers to understand the eligibility for FSCS. Data quality errors in the submission are then highlighted via an interactive dashboard that allows management to understand from a very high level picture and drill down within a few clicks to identify individual records that are failing a check. So business users are then enabled to correct, fix, remediate data issues and thereby continuously improving their overall customer data quality. And as I said earlier, crucially, there's zero coding or programming uh, required to stand up a tactic solution. And the bank's data team were able to then self-serve. It probably goes without saying I, I wouldn't be talking about this example if 
the client had not passed the subsequent calls from the PRA. In fact, they achieved a double green light. This meant that the bank were also in a much better position to deal with ad hoc requirements. And to give you an example of one of those the CEO told us about recently, they received a call from the Bank of England to understand the risk associated with a media announcement concerning the probable closure of a major manufacturing firm that actually employs a substantial portion of the local workforce. They already had a reliable base of information from the FSCS solution we had implemented. And additionally, we had trained the data team and their subject matter experts to build rules themselves using the Detectics platform. That meant they were able to configure rules to identify things such as employer name, job role, proportion of monthly mortgage payment going to, you know, as compared with the monthly salary, and all that other information to compile that ad hoc report required for the Bank of England. They have since extended the system to also assist with anti-money laundering, where our fuzzy matching has helped them to better understand things such as ultimate beneficial owner and account for typos or deliberate attempts to actually mislead onboarding systems. Um, to focus on the, the lessons learned in this one is focus on the business requirements as a whole, and that includes understanding the profile uh, of all users of, of a solution, looking at the bigger picture beyond the immediate requirements that you're trying to solve, uh, and also running a, a competitive procurement process that starts with setting out clearly what you're looking to achieve in that first use case. If you could change the slide then, please, James. Uh, my second story is about a leading UK wealth manager and a challenge that arose from the COVID-19 situation. So prior to engaging with the tactics, they had a very fragmented approach to data quality, driven by a mixture of IT tools built in-house and, of course, the old faithful Microsoft Excel. It was difficult to apply a centralised data management approach to what is a very federated, regionally driven business model, especially using that mixture of different applications that we talked about. After another competitive POC, the tactics successfully implemented into production the Detactics self-service data quality solution. And that's a proven off-the-shelf application and importantly comes with a framework that helped them to solve their challenge around distributing responsibility for data quality across the business. In a recent account management meeting, our primary contact there told us about a use case that they described as a big internal win for the data management team. As part of the COVID-19 preparation, senior management undertook scenario planning, and one of the scenarios they investigated was you know, how are they going to maintain contact with the customer base if there's no postal service? So email addresses are obviously vitally important, as they often share documentation or updates, and they want to take any opportunity they can to potentially upsell new products. The question was asked of the data management team, who are the users of the tactics, you know, how many email addresses are missing from the contact management system? Sounds like the most basic of data quality validation checks around completeness, i.e., is there data present? Uh, and of, of those that are present, how many of, of them use the correct format and so on? Using the Detectics platform, the team were able to build and deploy a solution in under two hours. They configured a, 
an interactive dashboard within 24 hours, which gave them insight into the proportion of present and valid format of email addresses. And they actually gave us a demo of that dashboard that showed a massive increase in valid email addresses since the start of the coronavirus outbreak in the UK. The board were highly impressed with this work that, that underpins a seemingly simple business-driven problem. And our primary contact there has shared internally how much this relied upon the detectives tools themselves. Again, the fact that the data management team was able to self-serve entirely for this requirement has gone down extremely well. Our contact is hopeful that non-data experts within the senior management team and the board will now understand the business relevance that data quality improvement can have for business critical activities such as these. And I believe the lessons learned on this one are, of course, I'm biased, but rather than going out, uh, going through the pain of building your own tools from scratch, buying an off-the-shelf technology can help you achieve those goals much more quickly and provide you with a longer-term and broader solution. That technology, of course, has to complement the existing frameworks or processes that you already have in place. And finally, I believe having the ability to be able to self-serve allows you to broaden the use cases, maximize your return on that initial investment, and also help you to achieve more strategic goals. Uh, thank you for listening. Apologies for the, uh, the screen failure in the middle of this, uh, and I look forward to answering any questions you may have. Great. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Kieran, we do have some questions coming in, so um, there you are. If you could all switch on your webcams, um, everyone can see you uh, with the answers. So, um, first of all, uh, we have a, a question from uh, Bob McDowell. Uh, how big a challenge is technical redundancy of data storage flash archiving systems? Would you like to take that one on? Paul, sounds like it's for you. <laughs> Just, just, just um, hit with the question Nate, one more time. It's starting to digest. Sure. How, how big a challenge is technical redundancy of data storage slash archiving systems? Um, they are big challenges. A lot of organisations um, have these platforms that, because they've been around for a long time and have a large volume of data in them, um, and the platform itself is old, quite often actually accessing data in those platforms is very, very challenging, um, which is why we don't we don't typically come at it with a bespoke approach of um, having a connector that, say, for instance, uses an API. We look at the holistic platform, where the data is stored, how it's accessible, um, and work with businesses to understand the best way of getting getting at that data. Um, it's it's there in a lot of organizations um, who, in some, some way, shape, or form, are sometimes thinking, okay, just manage it out of existence. Don't necessarily, if they're, for instance, working on a cloud-first strategy, don't necessarily take it to the cloud, but can gradually manage that out of existence. The key thing is to have a, an overview of it. But it's a, it's a very common problem we come across with most organizations. Thank you. So uh, we have another question. Um, this might be for Kieran, perhaps for Jennifer as well. Um, can you give us an, an example or examples of the kind of feedback you get from financial services companies on fintechs in terms of what works and what doesn't? Um, I can give a, a general view. Um, so I think from having previously worked in the financial services side and also in my process of getting to uh, understand the challenges currently, um, I think that the most salient point that I took away that seems really obvious, 
that isn't, I think, to a lot of fintech companies, would be that there has to first be a business problem that needs to be solved. So a lot of um, financial institutions say, you know, they're talking to fintech companies and they're sort of talking to their solution without actually coming forward with uh, a solution to a problem that they have. So I think actually that's why I particularly selected um, automated intelligence and tactics because they understand problems today that other banks are facing that are not uncommon to other banks. So um, the second point uh, I observed is um, I was in an insurtech uh, webinar yesterday and their issues are very similar to banks. They might be slightly um, in a different place on their journey, but uh, they all con uh, concluded that data is more important than tech. So there is no point in spending massive amount of investment in tech if your data isn't right to begin with. Um, so again, that's I think that's really relevant today. And then finally, um, everybody always says, because I always ask this, this exact question to, to banks and insurers, asset managers, wealth managers, they always say it's about the fit, it's about the culture. Um, so my takeaway from that is uh, I think that um, it takes time to build relationships with financial institutions, banks, and then on the other side with fintech providers. And so I think both parties need to invest that time in the community directly or for banks, insurers, asset managers, wealth managers, um, to work with potential partners who can help you more efficiently get to know your potential technology partners going forward. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. Thanks, Jenny. I think that's that's very relevant. And picking up on that culture point, um, I think that's you know that's one of the things that's won us business at the, at the tactics is not just the the sort of you know the values that we we exhibit. Um, we talk about ambition, um, passion, and integrity are, are our core values, but but also that can-do attitude. And of course, it's it's a it's a risky thing for a sponsor at an organization to take on board a, a reg tech or a fintech firm because obviously no one gets fired for hiring IBM. And the the thing that I think you know that that really helps with that you know that initial engagement is having a reference case. So if you've been you know if you've been deployed at UBS it's a much easier conversation to have um because you know, you you've you've gone through the, the rigor of all of their Info security and IT checks, um, and you've delivered a, a solution that's working for them. Uh, I've I've been involved with the tactics since its infancy, and um, I've kissed a lot of frogs. Let's say um, in the early stages, we didn't have those big reference clients, and getting that first one was was really crucial for us. And since that point, we've we've been on the right trajectory. I I would I would just add into that as well from our perspective. Um, I mean, you both, um, both uh, Kieran and Jennifer pointed out there. Um, it's it's about problems, um, and that is that is what I do. That is what we do at Automated Intelligence. We focus on solving problems, not just building a solution to sell. And the problems are constantly evolving. And with any organisation that's got a focus on data, is trying to become data driven. You always bring it back to it, it's not the technology that you're using. It's about um, your culture of change, how you're using data within the organisation. So it's constantly evolving, technology is constantly evolving, and it's trying to help organizations handle that as seamlessly as possible. And the only way you can do that is to work closely and be adaptive and flexible um, and see it more as a partnership rather than a, a, a customer supplier um, sort of model. 
Great, thanks. Um, and another question, Paul, while you're on, um, because I think um, harks back to your actual presentation. Um, at a high level, how would you commence implementation? At a high, high level, obviously, I mean, the first challenges are we always come to what is the problem? A lot of organizations will approach us. We, we have a lot of experience of um, being able to access data in a wide range of data sources. Um, that is not to say we've got hundreds of connectors that automatically plug into these systems, but we have a lot of skills and developed a lot of ability to do that and help more organizations move to better platforms. But we don't always go in with that approach. So an implementation piece would be about discovery. So we um, e examine and look at all the repositories and bring that single um, pane of, of glass view across the data and then work with the business to understand what are the key challenges? What are the, the, the what, what effectively triage the problems? Because there's going to be countless problems and it's very easy to get engaged in a, an implementation, um, trying to solve too many problems or the wrong problem. So we work very closely with the business to understand, okay, the key stakeholders, the key requirements and bring that up to a, a level where um, we engage around the, 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 the business strategy, the data strategy, what are the, the most important points um, and work to um, engage with that, uh, with those different stakeholders. The implementation um, obviously has one of the biggest hurdles and Kieran alluded to it there a few moments ago is InfoSec. Um, we talk about cloud processing. If I go back to um, speaking to customers, maybe two years ago, three years ago, it was always about our oh, cloud's risky, et cetera. That's gone away, but obviously there are a lot of new and different challenges. And so we work with organizations um, first and foremost to make sure that um, we can touch on and resolve those um, those key challenges. Uh, and the first ones are always InfoSec. We can move typically much faster and deliver the technology much quicker than most organizations um, uh, you know, are willing to, especially large organizations. So it's trying to adapt the pace that works with them and understand how they're working. So it may sound like a bully answer, but it's never an easy one based on the, the scale of all the different types of customers that we do work with. Well, hopefully that helps. It does, thank you. Um, so we've got a question now from uh, our friend uh, Andy at the Transparency Task Force. Um, and the question is, how do we harness all the benefits of transparency and data, et cetera, without allowing things to morph and scope creep from scrutiny to surveillance? Uh, Big Brother, 1984, etc., etc., etc. What are your views on the on the data ethics question? Perhaps we should start with uh, Kieran. Yeah, so it's it, it's an important question. Um, um, at the tactics, we typically are, are setting up solutions for for our clients where there's there's permissions based access to data. So only those who are entitled to to view certain you know PPI or, or whatever that may be. Um, um, are able to view that um, and I mean we're less involved in the sort of surveillance of, of people's information um, but you know more involved in the in the keep ensuring the integrity of that information which you know hopefully plays into you know um, plays into that uh, sort of ethics piece we're, we're all about ensuring that banks understand um, their customer information, for example, they understand the, the transactions, they understand the, the engagement with those customers. And in the case of the, the example that I used for financial services compensation scheme, well, that's that's all about ensuring that everyone who is entitled to compensation should a you know touch wood should a bank shouldn't go under, but should a bank uh, go under that they're able to uh, 
you know, uh, regather some of their assets. It's that, that's a new subject for me to jump in on, um, and, I, and I'll keep it as brief as possible. Data ethics is a, it's a that whole question is fascinating. When we work with a customer, um, uh, the relationship that we're developing is around helping that organization. And, and typically we're working with organizations that have got a, a good approach that they are learning to be, um, to, to, as a colleague of once, 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 um, called it, um, to treat data, um, with dignity. It's, it's, it's not necessarily your data as an organization. If it's about people, if it's about processes outside of your organization. So you've got to look after and respect it. But at the same time, um, we have worked with organizations and every single, um, project that I've ever been involved with. There has always been a point where somebody in a room realizes, um, uh, the blunders within that data that have been discovered and would leave the room quite ashen faced trying to go and perhaps delete some content, whether it's finding pirated videos or, um, embedded uh, spreadsheets with thousands of employee names and addresses and passwords and things like that, you know, finding that stuff, going into that level of depth causes a lot of discomfort, but organizations have to open up and balance that, um, that fairness and transparency with, you've got to manage the risk. You've got to understand it. And if you hide and ignore the risk, and I mentioned it earlier, organizations, um, especially around the GDPR, for instance, have kind of felt, well, um, okay, I can do best endeavors, but actually that's too tricky. That's too messy. I might leave that. So it's, it's that, that's not the, the, the appropriate approach to use. Understanding um, uh, um, business, um, uh, the people within businesses feeling that sense of invasion and, and intrusion. You have to understand you're part of an organization. You have a responsibility in that organization to follow processes and procedures and also be aware when they're failing. So being able to step in and, and um, uh, help change that culture is, is fundamental. So it really, it's a, it's a fascinating one that there's no right and wrong answer except for to try and get to a better place and make sure the whole culture there supports it. But I've just about hold myself back from going on too long there. Apologies. It's quite all right. We're doing very well for time. I have another question. Um, what role would it be most useful for the Financial Conduct Authority to play in order to foster development and sorry, adoption of reg tech in financial services? I'll pick that one up first. So we've, we've had, you know, a lot of engagement with, with the FCA. They run, uh, tech sprints and, and engagement days with, with, uh, fintech and reg tech providers. Um, and the feeling I get is that they're, um, they're, they're doing a lot more than some of the other regulators in, in other countries in that space. Um, one of the things that, uh, is a bit of a panacea within data management is, and, and reg tech is, is a sort of, um, having, having the regulators issue regulations, which are, um, you know, in code effectively. Um, so you can, you can automatically sub do your submissions without having to compile information. Uh, I think, I think the FCA will admit they're, they're a long way off doing that. Um, but, um, they, they certainly have a lot of engagement with fintech, reg tech companies. Um, to enable that regulation to, and they can engage with us and obviously the other stakeholders in the banks and the other financial firms to drive that, that, you know, that sort of strategic goal forward about, um, having sort of, uh, automated regulations and, and compliance checks coming through the banks without having to manually do a submission. 
Um, certainly, what we're helping uh, at the tactics, we're helping firms to improve their their, uh, their their data quality, and we're all about plugging into multiple different systems and generating that single view version of the truth. So hopefully, that can that can play a part in that in, in the longer in the longer term. Thank you. Um, and it just occurs to me, um, if people want to hear more from Steve Green of the FCA, uh, that was actually the last physical event that we did, I think, on the 12th of March. Um, but do uh, do have a look at our past events uh, and, and see what Steve uh, has got to say um, from a digital regulator perspective. So um, I did uh, attend that one, actually, James. Uh, it was very good. Um, and yes. I, just for the purposes of anybody else who didn't, I think um, some of the things that they raised where they were saying, you know, in an ideal world, they they want to help to move more towards standardization um, of data to make the returns. They obviously ultimately want to make the return process a lot easier um, and less time consuming and better to understand for the bank. So, you know, it does sound like, um, as Kira mentioned, their regulator thinking in the right direction. Um, and I think I'd raised a question in that, uh, that event um, sort of saying, how do you engage with the wider tech community um, and encourage, for example, today we've shared some fantastic case studies. Um, as we know, a lot of financial institutions are um, more likely to engage with word of mouth referrals. So if there was something that the regulators could do to sort of help share those um, learnings and case studies amongst the financial services community um, over and above what they're already doing, then I think that might be um, helpful. Great, thank you. I think we've got time for one final question. It's a follow-up question for you, Paul, in terms of the question earlier on about um, startup. Uh, how scalable is your solution? Well, as a cloud-based solution, which uh, um, you know is obviously a, a key focus for us, is it is very scalable. We're dealing with petabytes of data within indexes. Um, the uh, the design, um, the processing that we do um, handles uh, multiple different sources being um, indexed and brought into the cloud for processing and analysis. So um, it is very scalable. It can it can handle the, the typical volumes and you know, getting into petabytes of, of data. Um, and we can do it in a very triage approach as well. You don't necessarily take all data um, on mass and analyze it. You may um, look at the metadata and determine uh, using complex rules around, okay, do we need to examine that data more? For instance, if it's if it's images that, that haven't been OCR, for instance, do you need to process that? Yes, you can have a very focused um, way of tackling that. So it is very, very scalable, um, which kind of often brings us to the challenge where companies um, are looking to um, handle this in-house on-premise. Um, we don't want to go to the cloud with this information. We're uncomfortable because we don't know the risk. Obviously, the, the way we, deal, we approach that is we, we can't do this processing on-premise because it won't be scalable. The power and resources and, and availability of uh, machine learning, et cetera, that is available in the cloud is a key key reason for that. Um, but we work very well with customers to enable them to um, to to handle that in a way that doesn't impact their day-to-day -day business, um, rather than actually trying to do it on-premise. And obviously, the key thing there really is around the security, the, the secure infrastructure that we have for looking after that data in the cloud is very robust as well. Great, thank you all. And um, so let me just recap. Um, in the in the spirit of networking, uh, virtually, if anyone would like to be put in touch with uh, our three great speakers today, so Jennifer Liu, Paul Hudson, uh, or Kieran Seawood, please drop me an email at james underscore picture at zn.com. 
uh, and I'm sure the speakers won't mind if I pass on your details, or indeed if you have uh, any more questions um, that we were unable to, to get to. Um, so thank you again, everyone, for joining today's webinar. Uh, do keep an eye on, uh, on our website in terms of uh, forthcoming events. Uh, we've got three uh, very interesting webinars next week, which you can see on the screen. Uh, very topical as always. Uh, and again, uh, if anyone would like to get in touch with any of our speakers, uh, and thank you again today. So thank you, thank you, Paul, and thank you, Kieran. Um, and the webinar recording will be available on our website uh, by close tomorrow. Uh, sorry, well, bank holiday, isn't it? We'll try and get it done close today, but if not, first thing Tuesday morning. Thank you all, and um, and goodbye.